Good afternoon. Good evening. This is Dove Tuzman, and you're on equal footing again. Happy winter. It's a tough time for a lot of us post the end of the year holidays and into the grind. It gets dark early, etc. Well, join me on this little tour of last year. Get your New Year's feeling on in the rear view. This is the part two of our 2022 in the rear view series last one for last year kind of a lighthearted look at the last year on equal footing some of the production challenges we had behind the scenes how we select the topics and the guests our show is on a jewish media network as you all know but we welcome all sorts of point of views you know we cover mental health issues sociopolitical stuff and try to look at the world kind of through the prism of Jewish thought and Jewish ethics. Not sure we always do a good job at that, but we try. But we invite other voices on the show as well. Different perspectives that challenge our own. That's the whole purpose. That's a raison d'etre for our, for this program is to allow ourselves to dive in to what challenges us, get out of our comfort zone, uh, figure out how to match this Life of faith, or for you atheists out there, out there, life of non-faith with the day-to-day, the day-to-day grind. First time ever we brought from the studio, we do this show from the studio here in Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn, with our wonderful and often overwhelmed audio engineer, Dimitri, who's behind, also in the booth. I want to thank, we don't thank him enough, thank you, Dimitri, for your support over these years and your hard work. And we brought behind it from the booth into the studio here for the first time our wonderful producer my partner leah mazniku leah welcome to to the uh to the mic thanks for having me doe <laughs> and you know what you, know, you should know you can keep it on yeah keep that red light on so you can so we can uh we can give us here there you go okay <laughs> all right so the reason we wanted to, you know, last week was interesting, right? We had production challenges. Our audio sometimes was mixed up because we haven't done this before. Mm-hmm. You think interviewing folks live is hard? You know what's harder? Recapping a year's worth of interviews live. <laughs> At least it seemed that way. And uh, I'm glad to see you smiling. I know you probably want to, you know, give me a little punch across the table <laughs> since I asked you to come in like five minutes before we started. Okay. Well, this second part of our 2022 in the rear view goes back. Uh, we, we're recapping the July through December period. Last week's show, if you want to listen to us muck up but also have fun, was January through June. Uh, you know, the war in Ukraine started, a lot of kind of existential uh, questions going on around that and Arm- nuclear Armageddon you know, being on the on people's radar for the first time in, in decades. We went through some we're really coming out of the pandemic. We had some shows that referred to that as always mental health related shows. And then we did that great. See, I think it was a great series. That was an interesting one, at least for, for me. I think for you too, Leah, that one we did in last June on, in Pride Month, we did a few shows on, um, LGBTQ life in Orthodox communities. Yes. That was one of my, uh, favorite series that we ever did. And it was, you did a great job getting guests for that because we actually had a couple guests that went under pseudonyms because they were talking about stuff that was so sensitive. I remember. Understandably so. Yeah. There was a guest on the show around, um, gay life for men in the Orthodox Jewish community where, um, he was someone who actually was, had decided to take the path, as I recall, of totally suppressing those, not acting on his attraction and felt like that was a, 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 a viable life solution. And I think he went under, a pseudonym that stuff was painful. He did, and the most interesting part of that show for me was the was how he spoke about conversion therapies. You know, so many people talk about conversion therapies, specifically in a religious context, as very oppressive, very abusive. But he said he found people that thought alike. He found companionship, and uh, it made him less afraid to be who he was. And of course, there was there were elements of suppression there but 
I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, as always, uh, not as always, but as we we often find that the shows challenge our conceptions coming in. We do a lot of pregame research. You and I stress out about it a lot for, for yeah. days, sometimes weeks ahead of a show, and we think something's going to go in a certain direction. And I thought that show was kind of going towards really criticizing the way the Orthodox community will often deal with uh, with folks that are LGBTQ, and in this case, it was about men. And he gave us a little bit of a different message, and that was is always interesting to have our assumptions challenged. All yeah. right, so let's <clears throat> let's rewind to July of last year, and our first show in the second half of the year was called the Korach Conundrum, and we were talking about the Korach character from the from Humash from the Bible. Uh, who kind of rises up in a kind of a mutinous act against uh, Moses, Moshe Rabbeinu. It was a really interesting topic because we like to sometimes not only get into the hero in our narratives uh, theologically, but also the anti-hero. And Korach was in some ways an anti-hero. We had Rabbi Mendel Kaplan and Joseph Isaac Korf, who have been in, he's been on the show before. Uh, we were in studio. It was tough to find a rabbi who who's actually willing to talk about prose, of Korach to talk about his good qualities, uh, such as such a negative consensus, but, um, we were able to do that. And that was, that was an interesting theological show. And then the, the second week we did of July, we did a show on, uh, called teen idol. We show, we're focused on like fangirling and celebrity worship syndrome. I teased you a little bit on this because you do, you do, I think, is it fair to say you do more celebrity worship than I do? I think I'm more, uh, I read more, pop culture news than you do. I don't think I do celebrity worship, but, you know, <laughs> potato, potato. Actually, you're going to get to make fun of me later because I was a total fan boy at the end <laughs> of, uh, oh, you know, I'm talking, we'll get there, Professor Pagels <laughs> oh, later in that. the year. Um, so for Teen Idol, it, we were inspired by the Golden Calf story, obviously the ultimate you know, worshiping of what we shouldn't in, uh, in, in, in Deuteronomy. And we had on, uh, Rabbi Yarden, Yarden, uh, Bloomstein. He's mm-hmm. a rabbi and a therapist and he's been on before. He works with teens and we had Amanda Smith, who's a teen psychologist. I thought that show was interesting because the theme or pattern of idolatry manifests over the centuries. Like you can look back at Homash and think, oh, that, that, that golden calf thing is ridiculous. But in fact, it's very much contemporary contemporary right and how teenagers idolize celebrities places universities careers and how that really gets infused in any culture and identity and including jewish culture and identity that of course theologically is so against idolatry yeah and this show is very interesting for me obviously as a avid fan of pop culture but also um you know the the kind of like the theological paradox of how to live in a world that's so obsessed with what other people are doing, so obsessed with, you know, the new thing and in idolizing and uh, and living a Jewish life that where idolatry is a sin. You're, you're being so erudite. I thought you were going to say it was interesting because the ridiculous pregame situation. You remember that? I was going <laughs> to end with that. Yes, I. how can I forget? We were... We were uh, in quite a pickle. We're driving down, like, yeah. through the rain to the studio. The studio is a bear to get to, guys. It's like... Especially from upstate. I mean... Yeah. At that point, we were driving from upstate. You know, sometimes we're coming from the city. But it, we were going through, like, a rainstorm, as I recall. And we got a flat tire, literally. And had to, you know, turn around. We did the call last minute, you know, from, like, a home office. It was, <laughs> it was a challenging one. Okay. So... The next show I thought was one of the most interesting ones I think we've we ever have done. I can get in trouble when I say that because someone may go back into the library. Check out all of our shows, by the way. Uh, you can find them. Uh, Leah, where can, where, t- tell us where you can find all You can shows. find them on all major podcast platforms. You can find us on SoundCloud. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Spotify, my favorite podcast platform, um, iHeartRadio, Deezer, for those of you that have Deezer. Just, you know, do a simple Google search and we're on all major podcast platforms. Yeah, search for Equal Footing with Dove Tuzman. It should say Equal Footing with Dove Tuzman and Leah Mazniku, our great producer. Yeah, I'm behind the scenes. Uh, but it's, 
uh, we use our SoundCloud library as like organizing one often. And we're this year, we are going to get more in social media. We're going to be more, uh, we're going to be better at meta tagging and so forth and getting found other places. Please pass it on. Anyway, this show, um, in July was called Sacrificial Blood. Isaac, Jesus, and friends. We were inspired by the Parsha portion of, of the Torah that we read each week of the year called Vayera, specifically Genesis 22, 1 to 19. And it was like an, obviously the story of, of, of Abraham and, and Isaac and the, and the intentional, the, the intent to sacrifice, uh, Isaac, uh, for presumably a divine purpose. And it was the first of an ongoing collaboration. This show was impactful both for content because it was very intense, interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. And because it was the first time we got to have Professor David Weddle on the program. Yes, fanboy. <laughs> and you're a fan girl too. I he's, am. He's I a am. professor emeritus of religion at Colorado College. You got to, I mean, check him out. W E D D L E. You can Google him, Professor David Weddle. He's been, he's one of the, the most respected, uh, academics in comparative religious studies in the United States. And he really zeroes in on specific things like the role of miracles in the Abrahamic face and also wrote a great book on sacrifice. And I think we have a clip here. When I asked Professor Weddle to play the devil's advocate, and express in a nutshell why sacrifice is bad and what it implies for our faith. Let's see, Dimitri, if we can play the first audio clip. And just with the the the, the anti-sacrifice argument, why is this all a bunch of maybe gobbledygook? Right. Kind of misunderstood our uh, this uh, this tenet of our faith. Because what it implies about God that God requires the bloody sacrifice of an innocent human being in order to love the very creatures that he has made. This is morally incoherent. It is ethically reprehensible. Yeah, he went for it. And you got to listen to that show to get some different uh, points of view on the role of sacrifice and sacrificial blood in the Abrahamic faiths. Also check out the uh, alternative version where... Uh, of of the Parsha Vayera or the alternative um, meaning where Abraham uh, doesn't sacrifice Isaac, but Isaac self-sacrifices. I think that's a, that was a shocker. Increasing not only academic, but I would say rabbinical consensus Mm -hmm. on that, that Isaac Mm -hmm. was a 40 plus year old man and very aware it was going on and was actually, you know, taking the lead, walking up the mountain as opposed to being pushed up. Okay. Well, the last show of July before we take our first break, we're behind a little bit. We'll try to catch up. Uh, was on called Living in the Shadow of Greatness. And this was a really interesting show. We had David Holbrook on as a son or son of the famous diplomat over many decades or several decades, at least Richard Holbrook. And we had a repeat guest on Equal Footing, a therapist, Rachel Klachewski, talking about the paradox of having parents who are ser- seen as heroes outside of the home and dedicate a lot of their lives to the great, greater good, but are absent parents in the home and how challenging this is. And I think this was one that touched, really hit a lot of listeners because I think that we have a lot of listeners as parents or, you know, have a pastoral role as, as rabbis and, and, uh, shluchim. And there's, uh, this is a challenge. And I had this own challenge in my own life. You know, my father is seen as, as like a, uh, paragon of dedicate of uh, selfless service and social work where he's done in his life and God bless him for it. But, you know, he, he by knows his own admission. He struggled to be as present for us in the home. So as often these shows touch on our own lives, and some of you may have put that together. I may have mentioned something like that on the show. But here's mm-hmm. David Holbrook talking about his father's death and the documentary, wonderful documentary he made about uh, called The Diplomat, where he said he strove to, quote unquote, know his father better after death than in life. And I know my producer um, who's wonderful and, and, and brilliant. And she said, yeah, we were friends. She's like, yeah, you're just doing this. She could tell, um, that I was less angry, less, you know, uh, that, that, and part of that was just time. You know, I think it takes a long, it takes a, at least a year before you begin to feel normal. Um, after the loss mm-hmm. of a parent, but I, I, you know, with him, it, it was, his ending was so dramatic and, so quick and and front page news and you know it's in the film of, of and I say to Hillary Clinton you know the realize and it's true that I saw on that stage at the Kennedy Center with Obama Clinton Clinton 
Kofi Annan, Lesko, Samantha Power, uh, all these luminaries. I mean, I, well, I, he was an historical figure, and I don't think I'd see him that way. And so making that film helped me close some of that gap because I think the distance between our lives and what he was doing was hard to connect when he was live. And Wow, I remember how impactful it was when I heard that. He really didn't get to know his dad as well as he would have liked in life, but he spent many years documenting his life after his death and became closer in his own words. We're going to go to our first break. And before we do that, unlike last week... Before we do that, I just want to touch on something else on this show because it was this was very impactful for me as well in a different way. Uh, we talked about the concept of reparenting, meaning what learning to um, kind of sew your own wounds and be your own parent and uh, have like those fears of abandonment they might uh, have developed from from absent parents and learn to be an independent adult. So we talked a lot about that of the show, which I think is is personal. I mean, personal to you and to a lot of us. We can learn more from that. And to you, I think. <laughs> indeed, Maybe. indeed. Okay, our, we didn't do this last week. We're going to do it this week. We're trying to learn and get better. Our number, call in if you want to participate. We are live, even though we're recapping last year's content. The number is 718-303-9090. That's 718-303-9090. If you want to call in and tell us about a show you liked or you didn't like or you remembered from last year, if you want to text in or WhatsApp in a comment or question along the same lines, 917 428 4062. That's where to uh, send in a comment or question about any te- uh, content from last year as we're doing Equal Footing 2022 in the rear view. We'll be right back. And the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon. Little boy and the man on the phone. When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when. But we'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. Equal Footing is brought to you in part this year as well as last and the year before by DocuVax. DocuVax is an easy-to-download app you can get on your iOS or Android smartphone, and it helps you organize all your medical files, all the confusing stuff, vaccine records, blood type, allergy, MRI results, preventative screenings, etc., Get it all into one place. And once you get it all into one place, which is really easy, you can easily download any kind of file into DocuVax. That's spelled D-O-C-U-V-A-X, DocuVax. Not just for vaccines, but that's just the name. Once you do that, you get medical professional professionals on call for you 24 hours a day, 365 days a year to validate your vaccine records, your blood tests, or anything else in your locker. I'm a pet owner. And I get updates from the vet when I should, like, get a new vaccine for my beloved dog, Jiju. And then I don't get an update for myself when I get a, need to get a preventative screening, like a colorectal exam. I guess I probably don't want to get that update uh, or, you know, anything else I need to do. Get your medical life in order. Take control of your medical file. Your medical records do not belong to your insurance company. They don't even belong to your primary health care provider, your doctor. They belong to you. So download DocuVax. It's super cheap, $6.99 per month. That's $7 per month. And you can save a year or two years worth of, subscri- of uh, uh, subscription of DocuVax just by getting one reference to a specialist without having to go through a primary uh, general practitioner, which you can do when you have all your files in one place and you have the DocuVax doctors and nurses available to you. So check it out. DocuVax on your smartphone or go to DocuVax.com if you want to get a group discount and sponsor other DocuVax subscribers. If you're a small business owner or uh, part of a congregation or whatever, there is a number to call, but you have to say you heard about it on equal footing. That's 833-859-1933. Again, to get DocuVax group discounts, say you heard about it on equal footing in the radio show, call 833-859-1933. I've been caught, but I'm keeping on, keeping on I've been Back on Equal Footing. This is fun to have you in studio. <laughs> okay, get close to that mic. There you go. <laughs> Here, better? 
There you go. That's better. Yeah. Um, this takes the pressure off. We have our producer in studio. You went from behind the glass to in front, in front of the mic, Leia Masniku. We're recapping 2022 here on Equal Footing. And we started August of last year with a show called The Grudge, which is really interesting, on the, eth- on the Jewish ethics around resentment. It was with uh, Dina Abramovitz, who's a observant Jewish therapist, and Rabbi Pinchas Alush, who's a rock star rabbi. Check it out. Fun fact, we found out that Dina's office practice was literally like half a block from my place in Manhattan. Uh, and also, another fact, Rabbi Pinchas Alush was a student of Rabbi Adin Steinsalz, another rock star. Indeed. Okay, the next show, Leia, we got a lot of flack for. Remember this? <laughs> Yes, how can I forget? It was called Moses. Yes, the Moses. Moshe Rabbeinu, the great teacher. Moses, altruist or egotist? You know, I was kind of against you doing this show. Um, not because I thought it would be controversial or something that we shouldn't talk about, but because I thought there was like no meat to the story. I thought, you know, Moses was a human and he was flawed, like, like, all of us. Oh, you're and... going to get us canceled. Oh, <laughs> uh, if we haven't gotten canceled so far, I think, I think we're good. Hopefully. Yeah, because you're, because Judaism's view is that no man is perfect, right? And yeah. that differs greatly from Christianity where you have some guy, I can't remember his name, who's considered perfect. We'll get to that guy <laughs> later in the year. Um, but you, you, we got really in, I mean, no offense, by the way, to our Christian learners, learners, you're learning <laughs> uh, our Christian uh, listeners. You know, I don't mean any offense. I poke more fun at, 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 uh, at those in my own faith of Judaism than anybody else. Anyway, you, we got really interesting feedback and we had some rabbis that were like, Dove, don't do this topic or there's nothing to discuss. Moses was, you know, perfect, perfect, mm-hmm. which I actually don't think is theologically accurate. And you know what? Rabbi Yossi Brisky, who is on again with Professor David Weddle, that was a cool Woo-hoo. lineup, um, kind of confirmed our thoughts. Let's hear what Rabbi Brisky had to say on Moshe Rabbeinu. Questions as it relates to our own life and how ego fits into our own path. Before we get back to Moshe Rabbeinu and, and Professor Weddle's defense of, of Moses hitting the rock at Horeb. Absolutely. We we speak of Moses not in personal terms, and I I do respect Rabbi Steinsaltz, and I do completely understand that if we relate to him as a man among men, and we see him from our own perspectives, we're going to question and we're going to judge and say, wow, who else will break such a cube of sapphire which has the Ten Commandments inscribed on them that he got from God and throw it to the foot of the mountain. Wow, I, I can imagine if I did that, it would only be after I got extremely, extremely angry. Well, okay, there's a problem there. You're, you're, you're ascribing, you know, you're, you're putting yourself into the story of a person who's half man, half godly, Yeshua Lekina, as it says in Psalms. But we're talking about Moshe as a rabbeinu, as a teacher. What? Our, our, we're talking about our association with him, what he gives to us and what we take from him. And therefore, if, if he exudes confidence, which is a great term that uh, Professor Weddle is using, um, then, then that's something we ought to find out. Like how do we get to that level of confidence that he has? All right. So I see no problem with that. Thank you, Rabbi Briskay. I appreciate that. Thank you for, for saving me from the ire of, of listeners. Rabbi Brisky helped me on that show, uh, but it didn't help me before because I got some serious uh, hate. I wouldn't say hate mail. The, the, the rabbis were saying serious feedback on that show. Feedback. Yeah. But after the show, we got a lot of positive feedback we did. during the we did. show. And it goes goes to show, mm-hmm. pun intended, that um, it's good to dive in, get out of our comfort zone, dive into the difficult. I also want to mention something about Rabbi Brisky because one of the things we try to do on this show is promote really great. Um, good causes out there. And we have a particular interest in uh, criminal justice advocacy stuff. Rabbi Brisky is one of the people who runs the Aleph Institute. Aleph was founded uh, 40 years ago or so at the express direction of the Lubavitcher Rebbe and provides really crucial financial and emotional and spiritual assistance to thousands of shattered families who are going through 
having loved ones in prison and mental, mental institutions. It's one of the mandates as, as Jews that we are providing solace to people that are incarcerated or going through very difficult times. And it's just a beautiful mandate. So check out the Aleph Institute, uh, Rabbi Yossi Brisky. All right. By this time, we're in August. And remember, this was, this was, there was some funky stuff programming things, Grant. We changed gears. We were in Utah, uh, at this, at this point in August, really beautiful vacation in, uh, Park City, Utah. But Utah is also, not but, Utah is also Mormon land. And we, we were watching a documentary about polygamy and fundamentalist Mormons on Netflix called Keep Sweet, Pray and Obey. Many of you probably saw it as critically acclaimed. So we were inspired, changed gears and quickly put together a show after doing some really wacky research about the relationship between the Mormon church and Judaism. It's actually a one relate relationship, right? Because the Mormon church has been fascinated for, for decades, very controversially with post, posthumously converting Jews, namely Holocaust victims against the family's will. I shouldn't laugh at this awful, um, to Mormonism. But after they're, they've died, yeah. obviously, because their idea is that that's their version of a mitzvah. It's like you want to convert people and then they put that in their genealogy tree. It's mm-hmm. really scary. I don't mean any offense to Mormons because I have some very dear Mormon friends. I used to live in Park City. Uh, but, but, but it's so also a love-hate relationship. It's a one-way relationship, but it's also a love-hate relationship. More love than, I mean, Mormons are like obsessed with. There's certain ele- elements of anti-Semitism where Mormons. Oh, sure, you're right. You know. Yeah, a, a, a perverse love. Yes. Um, so we did this show, and we had a, as one of the guests was a Mormon converting to Judaism. This woman, Elisa Landry, doing her PhD at Gratz College, a well-known Jewish institute, where we have we've had a number of guests affiliated with Gratz over the years, and she gave us an insight view into this what you call this love-hate relationship. We also had Paul Finkelman, who is a former chancellor of Gratz College, and he was giving some really insight. In- Interesting insight into the Mormons converting Holocaust victim scandal, scandal that kind of broke out in the 90s. The next week, ending August, we decided let's keep going on this Mormon. Th- well, we were inspired by this Mormon thing. It wasn't really a Mormon. Yeah, thing. we were, we were, we were definitely inspired. Um, we did a show called Heavenly Bank Account. We were talking about religious organizations being tax exempt and the resultant lack of transparency and the fact that they're not required to share their financial reports like companies are, even when they're directly asked to by the government. Like, for example, there's there as a joke, a, I don't know, it's I actually, I actually think it's kind of interesting as yeah. a group to make to make public how absurd this is, the lack of transparency in religious organizations created a Satan worshiping group uh, like a decade ago ago and got tax exempt status and therefore didn't have to like do a mm-hmm. bunch of filing. I mean, just this anyway, I'll, I'll say before we play this audio clip, it was a wonderful guest we had on. Is it, what was it? Is professor, professor Ryan Cragen. Yeah. And really, it really brave. I thought in the way, and, and you know, this, this show touched the nerve. We thought it was a wonky show, like a kind of abstruse, but we got a ton of feedback. We got a lot of feedback. Why do you think that was? Because I believe uh, a lot of the people in our um, network are, I mean, take advantage or take advantage or uh, or are applicable for the tax um, for the religious tax exemption. And now I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to save you from getting in trouble here. I think yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm better behind the public. scenes. You're I'm not just, politically correct. You're just less politically correct. Yeah. I'm not that politically correct. So you are. Let, let me try to put it a different way. Many of our listeners are affiliated with congregations or religious organizations, wonderful ones like Olive Institute that I just made mm-hmm. mentioned, for example, and just, you know, as a generalized comment, and those organizations, even schools and so forth, don't have to do financial disclosure. Um, and so it touched a nerve. We got a lot of comments. So a lot of people saying that's for good reason. Other people explaining how it it increases corruption. And anyway, so I was making a comment about the need for more transparency and legal documents and also plaintiff settlements that have occurred over time. And uh, here was Professor Cragen's response. Uh, I, I hate to admit it you know, on the air that I hadn't thought about that linkage between settlements and disclosure, uh, but I really, really like that idea that we could find out just how much these religions are paying in terms of their settlements, um, which might give us a better sense of how widespread the sex abuse really is. I don't think we have 
even an inkling of how widespread sex abuse is in religions. And that gets to a different issue, which we don't really have to get into, which is the structure of religions and how they're very amenable to, to basically abuse. Uh, but, but that abuse also happens financially. So it's not uncommon to hear about uh, individuals embezzling money from religions, stealing money from religions, uh, because, again, there's no financial oversight. So it's, you know, it's the fox watching the hen house when it comes to religions and their finances because there's nobody actually watching what's happening with the money. Now, if you're a very affluent religion, you may actually bring in, pri- you know, private auditors to come in and audit your finances. But if, you know, let's say that you're a local megachurch without some denominational affiliation and you're bringing in, you know, anywhere from hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars a year and one person is in charge of those finances, Who's watching that person? We have no idea how those finances are being managed and whether they're literally just taking the money. Mm. Mm-hmm. Rough stuff. Food for thought. We'll be Before... It's hard to interrupt you. Before we go into break, I was going to mention a story that Professor Cragen shared that really stuck with me uh, on this particular topic. Uh, years ago, the IRS took um, the, the, the Church of Scientology, they took their um, tax exemption away. Mm-hmm. And... So hundreds of members of the Scientology religious organization or church, they sued the IRS and there were so many of them that the IRS just didn't have the time and the resources to, to keep up with all these, um, all these cases. And so they gave back the religious the tax, tax exempt status. Exempt. Yeah. It, we don't have time to go into the detail here, but check it out on the SoundCloud, uh, library elsewhere. Heavenly bank account was the name of the show. And there was some really interesting stuff there. Like you're saying about the dark side of the way religious and religion and government meets. All right. We will be, did I say that? All right. You're giving me a funny face. Meet. <laughs> yeah. The way they meet. Thank you. <laughs> Mushmouthed and bad syntax. You have it here on equal footing. We'll be right back. On our rear view, uh, 2022 in the rear view. God is a bit of a freak. Why is he watching me getting railed on the couch? Damn, kill for a wedding. He's got fucked up priorities. God is a bit of a freak. Equal Footing with Dove Tusman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. I've been caught. Oh my goodness, Leia! I'm I'm a little nervous. Uh, this will test our listenership to see if we get in trouble. For the, for the, for we the played a song where we forgot to uh, censor the version of the song. I apologize. We'll try to edit that after the fact. Um, <clears throat> great Happening song. real real time. Real time. <laughs> great song though. God is a freak. It's an interesting song. Uh, kind of a protest song written by someone. I think that it was subjected to uh, sexual abuse in the Catholic church, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. So in September of last year, cause we're in 2020 to 2022 in the rear view here on equal footing. This is live though. So send in your questions or comments. We've already got some interesting ones on content last year that you liked, you didn't like, or any question about behind the scenes here on the show, 917-428-4062 to send in those questions or comments by text or WhatsApp. And I gave out our call-in number before. I could do it again. If you listen, you've got that in the past, from the past. Okay. In September of last year, we started with a show called Heresy, the Opposite of Faith. Question mark. Is that the opposite of faith, really? Or is atheism the opposite of faith? We had Dr. Ori Soltis. I'd love to have on again, Lay. He was a great guest. Mm-hmm. Uh, Georgetown Professor of Religious History. 
at at, at uh, Georgetown University. And one of our beloved guests over the years, Reverend Dave Taylor, Reverend Dave, who's uh, who worked with uh, Bishop Desmond Tutu in South Africa and has been a chaplain and been a uh, a reverend for baseball teams as well as had a great career. And he d- we discussed heresy in the Abrahamic faiths, you know, Judaism and and Christianity and Islam. We were inspired to do that show because three weeks before, as I recall, the great author Salman Rushdie was attacked in New York, and he was obviously attacked on this. What's that called in Islam? The what's the the order to the uh, fatma fatwa the, fatwa the fatwa that was around for decades for the a wonderful book, the Satanic Verses. Mm-hmm. Actually, that attack. Um, and I hear he's getting better, my understanding, although I think he lost sight or had a, had some obviously enduring lifelong consequences from that attack, but thank God he survived. It actually caused me to pick up the book again, The Satanic Verses. It's a wonderful book in the kind of magical realism school. Anyway, our second show in September, uh, which was, we thought it was hard to program, trying to make it exciting, but it had some interesting moments called Why Kosher? We discussed eating kosher not only from a religious perspective, but also from an anthropological, historical, and dietary perspective. We had Laura Shema on, who's a registered uh, dietary nutritionist. Did I get that right? And mm-hmm. uh, and Dr. Roger Horowitz and Rabbi Mike Moskowitz, actually a really good lineup. And it was interesting. We learned about uh, ongoing discoveries of like plates and human remains dating back hundreds, actually thousands of years. Showing how people ate over time, and a little quiz, Leah. What What do you think was my favorite discovery on that on that show? Do you remember? Uh, maybe some trife food that people ate at the yeah, time. Yeah, trife. There was there was food from, um, like the Davidic period all the way through three hundred before the Common Era, right in the heart of Judea and Samaria, that showed that a newsflash: what. <laughs> they weren't eating kosher. Uh, no, there was a lot of like catfish and shellfish and mm-hmm. other things. And then other anthropological discoveries that showed that the definition kind of evolved over time. And there may have been mm-hmm. some things that were edited into text. Don't hate me. We're just reporting the facts here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Our third show of September uh, was definitely proved to be the most popular of the month, which we this was my favorite show. Although I don't think we would have expected it ahead of time. Nope. I wouldn't have. It was called Me Before Jew. And it was about the willful conversion, meaning, I guess, what would be a conversion against your will? God forbid. The willful conversion of Jews to Catholicism. This is the, this. I mean, like, there was a unwillful. Of course. I shouldn't have joked. Yes, yeah. of course. Yeah. But this is contemporary willful conversion mm-hmm. of Jews to Catholicism. We had a former Harvard Business School professor uh, turned Catholic scholar named Roy Showman, mm-hmm. whose parents fled Nazi Germany. He grew up yeshivish and escaped to, they escaped to Europe. It's really interesting. And Melissa Presser is a well-regarded Jewish author who then converted to Catholicism as well. It was a interesting, I would say, difficult show to do, actually. Difficult how? I thought it was, oh, I hope Professor Showman and, and Melissa are not listening right now, but I found it sad um, mm. that they, not that, you know, I, I appreciated that they were finding their spiritual needs met in life, but I found it sad that they didn't find that home within Judaism. And that's something that I struggled with. Obviously, I, mm-hmm. in Jewish since birth, but I spent many years kind of in the spiritual desert, as you, as it were. And as a seeker, I lived in an ashram in India for a while. I definitely was a self-described uh, uh, atheist for a number mm-hmm. of years. But ultimately, from, I found a home within, in, in, in my, in my faith of birth. And it was sad to me in a community that's so small globally that these two clearly smart and accomplished and thoughtful individuals for whatever reason in their family life and upbringing didn't find that home. Mm-hmm. For me, that was sad. And I don't know how you felt. I was definitely intellectually intrigued and curious to see what made them, what made them I mean, make such a, such a big decision. Um, and also the, the spiritual journey from, from Jewish to Catholic, given the really painful historical background, was, was something that I struggled with um, in this particular context. I remember their stories about epif- their epiphanies when they mm-hmm. like, felt like they came directly in touch 
with Divinity. And we'll move on to the next show in a minute. But what, one thing that stuck with me, it was funny. I remember laughing on air. I was laughing with him, not at him, was Professor Roy Showman saying, talking about his when he decided to be Catholic mm-hmm. or Christian, at least. And, and he was saying he was like doing a walk in nature and he had this direct experience of God, like he was experiencing being out of his body and looking at his life as if he had died. And in that moment, he knew he was in the presence of the divine. I'm just saying what he said mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. paraphrasing. And he said, I want to know who you are. If you're Apollo, I'll become a Roman pagan. You know, if you're Buddha, I'll become a Buddhist. You know, I'll be whatever you are. You know, just, I just please don't be Jesus. <laughs> and it was Jesus. <laughs> For him, I guess it was. It was a funny moment. Okay. Anyway, um, the fourth show of September was called I Hate You, I Love You. Uh, what do you think this was about? This was about the relationship between the Jewish and Muslim community in France, um, given the backstory of colonialism in North Africa and uh, the political and historical background there. But this was quite interesting for me. Of course, the content content was interesting, but the context of the show was even more so. And because I don't know if this is why, but you used, you did university degree in France. You lived there for a number of years, and this must have been close to home. Of course, I, I love France. It was very, very close to home, uh, but it, it was more uh, interesting uh, because of the of of where we were in that particular time. Uh, we were we were scheduled to go to France two weeks ago, and we kept pushing before the trip. Yeah, yeah two weeks before, before the, the show. Before the show, pardon yeah. me. Um, and we kept pushing uh, the trip again and again, and we were supposed to do this show in France. And we were stuck here. That's right. Doing it on studio, which it is better. Was, it was a very prominent guest. And we're trying mm-hmm. to get better in guest selection mm-hmm. in terms of picking guests that are that really are the top of their field in a mm-hmm. given area. And Professor Ethan Katz, arguably the, the top scholar in the world right now in Jewish-Muslim relation to mm-hmm. France. He's written books on it. It was really that – was, that was interesting and very raw. There was some raw stuff in there. Obviously, there have been many terrorist attacks. But he also talked about how – over the decades, Jews and Muslims uh, for many years in France were kind of brothers in arms um, mm. and, and not, not fighting, but were often living in the same neighborhoods and having the same immigrant experience and things started to fall apart, um, arguably in the early 90s. Okay, the, the, the final show for September was called The Id and the Yid. It was by far the most challenging show, I think, of the month. Uh, we had a wonderful repeat guest on, Rabbi Simon Jacobson, the eminent scholar and the writer of Towards a Meaningful Life, and Amy Schwartz, who has a great column online called Ask the Rabbi, I think it's Ask called. The Rabbis. Ask the Rabbis. Yeah. Ask the Rabbis. And the show was on the topic of sin. Um, it was Yom Kippur, yeah. That's right. And it was, it, the content, I, mean, was, I don't know if it was our best show, and I think that was probably our fault. <laughs> it was definitely our fault if you want to share how that's how that show came to be oh my gosh this was like the middle of the night we all said car trip middle of the night where we were right because we We were were in in france France. (laughs) and so we do this show live and we were driving from monaco to Cannes late at night and we had two people in the back that we were just wanting to get to safety who had had too much to drink at a a place that a party that we had been to and they were spilling wine glasses and they didn't even know they had with them in the back of the car was stinking. Uh, it was like a rental car. <laughs> um, and they, and they literally, we had to stop by like an abandoned, like a random gas station off of the A8 highway. And, <laughs> and w- during this show, which is in a, with Rabbi Simon Jacobson, Jacobson and Amy Schwartz, like probably talking about it. Talking about sin. And you a know? theological, right. Yeah. Exactly. Ironic. Uh, I don't think we were sinning by driving the back, but anyway, we shouldn't have been out that late at a party. They were asleep in the back of the car. That's, that's how boring it must have been for them. Yeah. And one of them kept snoring. Yeah. I spent the full hour of the show waking the person up and saying like, please don't snore. Please don't snore. And I had to do that. You're, you're like, okay. Like. <laughs> it was so challenging because we were in a like small space, all squished together. You could hear everything. We were I in the middle of nowhere. Anybody to go back to the library, look up the id and the id from September. Tw- please uh, don't. <laughs> and try to hear, like, listen for the snores. Oh my God. Uh, it's anyway, not because the content was bad. I hope it's just the situation was challenging. Yeah. All right. Well, we started October on another kind of Yom Kippur themed show. We were also in Cannes. Interesting backstory production wise, but the show was smoother. I remember getting very emotional during that show. Actually, mm-hmm. it was did. called Is Repentance a Scam? 
was with a wonderful guest, Rabbi Svi Freeman. He would, I would encourage folks to, to look up and, and it, he really, it was very raw and about the theory that to simply repent and feel guilt without doing anything about it is not a Jewish concept. He, he, the show came right after Yom Kippur and it, we ended up needing to find a quiet place and thankfully had a wonderful friend who's appreciative of what we we're trying to do at the, the show and allowed us to kind of go to, to his apartment again, 3 a.m. and, and do, or 1 a.m., I guess. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, get to a quiet place and do, do this, uh, do this show. So I was like standing near a window to get cell phone coverage. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I don't know if this is why I got emotional, but partly I felt I was I was being a scam in the sense that I, I was supposed to be this deep show on Yom Kippur, and here I was like you know kind of in this really um, unorthodox kind of uh, setting and and trying to do the best I could with the content. But of course, it was another element to the to the emotional aspect. What was your impression of that of that show? What do you think was going on? You were you were there goading me on and and uh, trying to get me through it. Yeah, I think I think it was difficult because of the of the theme of the show. You know you you've had your own journey and have been very public with that. And uh, you did an over-disclosure, as you always tend to do, uh, about your, your journey with uh, repenting and, and dealing with your sins and, and stuff like that. So yeah, I would say yeah. that was very emotional and vulnerable for, coming from you. Yeah, I was talking about some of the stuff stuff I've dealt with um, uh, over the over the years and, and was trying to um, trying to be authentic and sharing that with the audience and also um, feeling a little bit like uh, wondering whether I was doing a good job uh, doing that or, and you know, whether it was connecting or not. Anyway, check out the show. It's called is repentance a scam from October. Let's hear for a moment what Rabbi Freeman talked about. I thought was fascinating around um, kind of the, let's call it the expertise that we have as Jews around the topic of guilt. The rabbi service at Chabad.org. It's a lot, a lot of traffic. We have usually at least 15 people answering questions. And we get a lot of non-Jews asking us, as rabbi, tell me how I can do repentance. How can I fix up my life? How can I do... And and they're coming to us. We ask them, like, you go to church? Yeah, I go to church. How come you're coming to us? It's because you Jews know how to do this? What is the path? And, and so we're asking you. So we have we have a lot of wisdom of how to deal with these things. Huh? And one of them is Yom Kippur. Get it over with, you know. Yeah, the expertise we have as Jews as it relates to repentance. Well. I'm going to make a call an audible here, Leah, since you're not behind and in the booth. That we're going to skip our last uh, ad break and take a hit from the uh, from the sponsor because let's do it. Finish. <laughs> All right. Well, now we're in. Uh, we're still in October. We did a show. Now we're in Cartagena, Colombia. We've done a couple of shows from there over time. We did a show called Repression and Sex: Traversing Extremes. It was with guests talking about being brought up in a very religious environment and then living a divergent uh, uh, sexual life as an adult, uh, a sexual life as an adult that many would feel was um, was out of the norm. And we did this show <laughs> from an Airbnb. There was no air conditioner because it was making too much noise. It was so hot in the room. Correction, um, there was an air conditioner that we couldn't turn on. Right, because it would like, drown noise. out. The, yeah. And I, I, gave, I gave a lot of kudos to the guests on that show because it was a really tough topic and they, they opened up. And I, uh, at least I think all three were actually under pseudonyms, if I recall, mm-hmm. because of the top subject matter was so sensitive the the third show of 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 that uh, month of october was called having your bupka and eating it too it was um with a recovering emotional and binge eater who had spent over 20 years attending um overeaters anonymous and and uh, and a famous dietitian named tanya rosen from from the community some of you may know and we talked about emotional eating in particularly in jewish communities um the, I remember the context of the show was we were doing it from a parking lot of a shopping mall in Medellin, Colombia, because again, we had gotten stuck in traffic. This, this happened a few times over the years. And we decided, you know what? We need to get the quiet place, the most quiet place as possible. We're not going to make it back to where we can do this from a quiet location indoors. So we were like in a back of a parking lot, uh, later at night. And, uh, anyway, here is what the dietitian, um, Tanya Rosen had to say about emotional eating. I learned a lot in this program. 
help us understand how emotional eating fits into the uh, this, this spectrum of eating disorders. So emotional eating is eating for any reason other than the fact that it's mealtime and you need to eat. So when people think of emotional eating, they think of a stressed out person or a depressed person like someone whose boyfriend just broke up with them and she's sitting there with like a tub of ice cream and looking at old pictures. That's not necessarily it. Emotions can even be happy emotions. Somebody could be excited about something and turn to food. They can be nervous or stressed about something that they have to do and in order to delay doing it, they're just distracting themselves with food. So it's it's happy, it's sad, it's nervous, it's calm, it's anything. Any emotion other than actual hunger is emotional eating if you're eating for those reasons we continue along the this mental health uh strain in the last program of october it was called the silent epidemic i'm going to answer a listener's question that came in by text in terms of which was the show that uh, was most closely tied to something going on in my life during the past year and i think it was this show it was on anxiety and how pervasive it is and as i've opened up some on this show i spent decades of my life feeling like I, I didn't confront a lot of these issues that I, that I would hear about. And, uh, but over the last seven or eight years of my life, I've really battled very, um, very much with anxiety and sleep issues and feeling, feeling overwhelmed and so forth. And at the time we did the show, uh, I was in, a, I was, I was in one of those in the throes of, of anxious episodes and, and to, um, be on with the guests, Sarah Esther Crisp and, and, uh, Deborah Kaman, both experts in this, in this field was, was cathartic, uh, for me, for me, let's hear what Sarah Esther Christ uh, had to say about, interestingly, the po- potential positive influence of anxiety in our lives. Seems to me, and I guess I put this on the table for for both of you to respond to. It it seems, based on the data doing in our pregame research for the show, that there's been a marked, measurable, and indisputable spike in dysregulated anxiety and anxiety disorders particularly over the last 20 years in the developed world and the most research being in the United States. Um, there are, there, are, uh, there's a lot of correlation that's been discussed around the, the COVID pandemic, but this has been a trend going on, um, for decades now. What, what's happening in, in modern society that is causing anxiety to become, to, to become pathological or to become dysregulated and self-harmful? Can I actually just, go back for a moment to something you were saying? Sure. So, in terms of it being healthy, there's actually, and I'm so glad to be brought this up, because one of the key things that we find with how it impacts a person, if it's motivational, if it's positive, if it's encouraging them to accomplish versus detrimental is very often how it's and even the fact that the word anxiety can trigger anxiety, you know, and carries with it this very heavy negative connotation is already a really important thing. You had mentioned even in the beginning about darkness and light. And um, Judaism doesn't view darkness as negative. You know, it, it views it as hidden. And there, that's a key difference. You know, so I think, and I'm, it obviously once it's gone to the point where it is, very negatively impacting somebody's life. It's beyond this, but there is um, a great work actually called The Upside of Stress and Why Stress is Good for You and How to Get Good at It by Kelly McGonigal, but it speaks about the way we view stress and anxiety actually impacts how it affects us. If we think it's bad, it's going to have a negative impact on us. If we think it's healthy and good, it's going to have a positive impact on us. So that's already like just the key thing to kind of have in mind. Yeah. Somewhat controversial statement, but I found it helpful for me in my life. Well, speaking of anxiety, uh, we went in, we went full anxiety for November of last year, just a few months ago. (laughs) It was eschatology month. Okay. Pop quiz. What does eschatology mean? Do you remember Leah? Uh, It was the, 
Theology of the End of Times. Yeah, this one, I think it's a study, or maybe it's a theology, it's stu- definitely a study of the end of times, like Armageddon, end of the world. And obviously World War Three has been on the mind because of the conflict in Ukraine, and that was when you had Putin really threatening, you know, kind of saber-rattling. Yeah. So we just did a couple of shows on it, Eschatology 101, which was kind of a primer show. Uh, and that was with uh, Dr. Robert Leonard and Rabbi Yehuda Sherpin. And then we did the second one called The World is Ending, What Now?, and that was with Rabbi, two amazing guests, guys. Amazing. Rabbi Lance Sussman and Professor David Weddle again. Let's just go straight to the audio clip where Rabbi, oh, no, we're skipping that audio clip. Sorry, Dimitri, we're skipping that one just time-wise. But he talked about how different denominations perceive the end of times and the fact that certain Jewish uh, sects or you know groupings believe we have agency and that we should help kind of bring things about or be very aware if we're in the end of times. And others think it's very much more passive. Anyway. Interesting shows. We finished November show called Black and Jew, uh, and it was on black and Jewish relations from the 60s to nine, nine, uh, to now. We had on Dr. David Lazarson. I was also known as Dr. Laz and Reverend Paul Chandler talking about the difficulties uh, in between these communities. That was a neat show. And then we finished November with a special Thanksgiving show. We did these a couple years in a row. Where we'd focus on gratitude and had people share their gratitudes. Okay, December. Wrapping up here was intense. We did a show called Did We Kill God? We discussed the intersection between, which is, I think, is that a Nietzsche quote? Where does that come from? Did we kill God? It's a quote of some some literary quote. God is dead and we killed him. Yes, it's a Nietzsche quote. Nietzsche. I always turn to you for Nietzsche, Leia. <laughs> <laughs> well, we discussed the intersection between Judaism and atheism. We had Joshua Moravchik on, who was raised atheist and became observant later in life, and Joel Newton, who's a confirmed atheist, who's converted to Judaism, who made the point, I respect where he's coming from, that you can be atheist and fully Jewish, that those two things are not necessarily incompatible. Listen to the show. See if you agree. Um, our second show of last month was The Past That Binds Us on Family Dynamics and Attachment Styles. Then we got to the meat of the month, The Origin of Satan with Professor Elaine Pagels. I said earlier in the show how I was like a fanboy. Professor Elaine Pagels, who wrote the Gnostic Gospels, etc., she has like translated the Nag Hammadi Scrolls. She's considered probably the top comparative, religiously least in the Abrahamic faith, scholar alive today. She's a professor at... Princeton University. Mm-hmm. It was just amazing. Even though that show, The Origin of Satan with her, because she wrote a book called that, I was stuck upstate in a snowstorm. The car was in a ditch, barely made it to even do the call. It was like walking right before the show in a freezing cold driveway. It was challenging logistically. Here is an audio, though, on that show and related to our last one of the year called Christmas Reimagined, which we'll get to that in a minute, but where a, a Professor Pagels shares that the Romans killed Jesus and later Christians blame them, which is part of where the concept of Satan and the demon comes from in modern thought. Let's go to that. Pagel's quote. Yep, that this, therefore, the, the narrative changes pretty significantly where the, they, they have to kind of point to the enemies of Rome at that period, the, the, the Jews, as being the source of, of Jesus' execution instead of what was you know, patently true or obvious historically that, that you had, you know, that Pontius Pilate, uh, the Roman, uh, prefect or what have you, um, not only executed Jesus, but most likely was also kind of, um, the enforcer across anything that looked like sedition, as you said. So it was like a changing of the narrative, right? From, uh, from the, the, the Romans, uh, killed Jesus to the Jews who killed Jesus, because of course they had to be careful now that the Romans had won the war, uh, not to get on the wrong side. Yes, I mean, only Romans could crucify somebody, and no Jews would kill people for being against Rome. It was the Romans who did it. But the narrative that they tell in the later stories was a, a defensive move because they were being sought down. They were all of the leaders of, of the movement that followed Jesus of Nazareth. One was beheaded, another was crucified, a third one was stoned to death in Jerusalem. It was very dangerous to be a follower of Jesus because people thought they were all insurrectionists. And so to to try to counter that narrative, they tell the story of Jesus' death as if the Romans didn't want him dead, which they did, and that somehow the Jewish people had protested enough to cause a crucifixion. This is totally counterfactual, and everyone knows it who knows the history. But it has, 
what I discovered, I thought I was looking at old folk tales about Satan. And suddenly it landed me in the real world, and it was horrifying to realize that that trope, the Jews killed Jesus, is completely false. And and it was created defensively by people being persecuted themselves. You gotta check out that show, The Origin of Satan, and another show called Christmas Reimagined, all alternative burst narratives of Jesus Christ. So some controversial stuff. We ended the year on a very different note, a show called The Price of Love with Rabbi and Therapist Andrew Rabbi and therapist Andrew Sklars and entrepreneur Ricardo Sedale. We discussed the loss of loved ones, a journey through grief and acceptance. It was emotional, good ending to the year in that the sense we always try to hit the most difficult subjects right on the nose. So text us show ideas, text us guest ideas, and follow us on Instagram. Beach in the-